Welcome to the Storehouse Podcast, a family of people dedicated to being the hands and feet of Christ, serving to Lord the earth know him. Find us on social media at the Storehouse NG and hit that subscribe button so you can get these sermons every week. Let's, let's give Timida a round of applause. And whoever found this, let's give them a round of applause. <laughs> fixed it or found it. I'm still trying to figure out how to work it. It's brand new. Oh, well done. Good afternoon, church. Happy birthday, Irie. <laughs> how many Irie's are there? God bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you, give you peace. May he perfect everything that concerns you. May you order your steps and direct your path. May you cause lines, the boundary lines to fall for you in pleasant places. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So how are we doing? Good? Huh? We're surviving. Lots, lots have hap- has happened this week, right? Um, what happened? A lot happened. So, so in, in preparing this, last, this time last week, not this time last week, a few hours from now last week, we had a wedding, a storehouse wedding. And so David and Oinda are married. And um, this, the, the message was about fruitfulness. And this morning as I, was, as I was praying, what I heard and sensed so strongly was, was fruitfulness. That God really desires for his people to be fruitful. Um, and, and it was this morning that I realized that that's actually what we're entering into. That, that year, next year, is, is going to be the year of fruitfulness. Um, but it's of fruitfulness by God's design. Right? It's not the... Not, um, but like we said, a lot has happened um, in the last week. Um, I think it was sometime maybe Monday morning that I started hearing about this whole Israel thing. Um, and I thought it was a joke. Because we, we all know how much and how much the Israelites pride themselves on technology, defense, protection, and the rest, right? So I thought it was impossible for it to happen. You know, they have the Iron Dome and, and this and that. Um, and it wasn't until Wednesday, I think it was Wednesday, like maybe 2 or 3 a.m., that I now went to read the thing. I was like, this thing is, is serious. It's really, really serious. Um... And, and since then, there's so much stuff online. How many people have seen all this stuff online? So much stuff online from the church um, and outside of the church. And it's like everybody wants to be a subject matter. Everyone has become a subject matter expert on Israel, the end times, God's judgment, and the rest. 
Um, but I, I really, it's really important for us not to be distracted, right? And, you know, one of the things that people are saying is that the war relates to end times, prophecy. <coughs> and I'll just read it in Matthew 24, 6. The NLT, it says, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. It's NLT. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place. But the end won't follow immediately. Can someone say the end won't follow immediately? Um, and so we hear this. And I think one of the, the one thing that really stuck with me is is, is why are you so concerned about the end? <laughs> There's a scripture in, in the Bible that says that when, when the owner of a house knows that a thief is coming, what does he do? He waits up all night, waiting to catch the thief, right? Waits up all night. Um, as, as a believer, there's never a reason to be worried because you have the security in that you have access to eternal life. So what are you watching and counting and worried about, right? When the parable of the ten virgins, there was a set that were checking the time. They were anxious about what time it was and how much they had. But there was another set. What does it say about them? They were sleeping. They were not worried. The, one that, the ones that were anxious, when it started to look like time, they had to go out and get more oil. What am I saying? If your oil is full, if you are in the right place with God, then you won't worry about times and seasons. You won't worry about when the prophecy is going to manifest because you know that in living, you are alive. In dying, you are alive. Does that make sense? Verse 7 says, nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. So, it says nation will go, against, go to war against nation. There will be famines, earthquakes, and, and the rest. Um, but what's really interesting is verse 8 that says, all this is only the first of the birth pains. And I like that it describes it as birth pains. Anybody ever think about birth pains as something bad? Anyone? Is it bad? Any, any woman wants to live life without having birth pains? So it's a good thing. You must have it. I spoke to, I spoke to Orezi two days ago. He said she prayed yesterday. Supernatural, everything. At some point, he said, I had to take that epidural. That no matter what, that pain is coming. It's given, right? So anybody want to go through life without having birth pains? So birth pains are a good thing. No. Uh, but is this good or not? Is it bad? Okay, is it bad? Is it bad? That's my question. 
is a means to an end, but is it bad? Because before, or as you were saying, before they were, you know, were waiting, and there were no birth pains, but it meant nothing was happening. There's a scripture that says, in, in, um, where, where there is no oxen, the stable is clean. Where there is no oxen, the stable is clean. And then it says that great harvest, great yield comes with oxen. Great strength is provided by oxen. And so, when I read this and it says, it's only the first of the birth pains, it means that what is to come is good. No matter what it looks like, what is to come is good. And it depends on who is the subject. So, if you are on God's side, if you are a believer, if you are saved, it is birth pain, pains. If you are not, it is just pain. So how many people are looking forward to the birth pains? <laughs> but, but another thing we should take away is that when it's talking about wars and rumors of wars, it also means that the, the end is near, right? It means it's near. It means that we're, we're closer to the end than we were. Um, but I... I think what we should be focused on is what we should be doing as Christians and our posture as Christians. Um, and, and, and our focus and our posture, um, you know, there's different narratives and we're seeing people protesting in Times Square and all sorts of places. And, um, and, and, People are celebrating death, right? Even Christians are celebrating death, right? But is that the posture? Um, the posture is to bless Israel. Um, the posture is to pray for Israel because the Bible tells us to pray for Israel. The Bible tells us to pray for Jerusalem, right? Um, the posture is to pray for the enemies of Israel, right? So that their hearts and their posture will change. Amen? That they will be drawn to God. The posture is to pray for Palestine, um, to pray for the women, the children, etc. Um, and I, I listened to someone the other day, it was a, a, a Jew was a Christian and he said something I, I had to note what he said he said it's easy for the heart to hate and it's easy to want to see hurt happen to the perpetrators he says but God warns us do not hate your brother it says you will love your neighbors as yourselves I am the Lord It says you should pray for your enemies. You should pray for their hearts. 
for those in Gaza, for Hamas, for Hezbollah, that God will open their eyes and that their hearts will be turned towards him. He said, because no person is too difficult to come to the knowledge of Yeshua, to find salvation. He says, our hearts need to break for the hatred in their hearts. He says, you don't come with the same spirit. You don't match hate with hate. You have to come with an opposite spirit if you want to defeat that spirit. He says, we have to come in love against it. And we have to pray for the innocent Palestinian people that are suffering as a result of this aggression. He spoke, he spoke about different things. He spoke about Iran and how Iran obviously is said to be funding this. Um, but he said again, do you, do you pray that it, Iran is destroyed? Do you pray that Iran be destroyed? He said, guess what? The fastest growing church is in Iran. In the world, the fastest growing church is in Iran. And Iran is the one funding Hamas. So I want us to do something today, and it's something that I, 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 um, I did this morning. Um, in, in Psalms 122, verse 6, the NLT, it says, pray for peace in Jerusalem. And it says something, it says, may all who love this city prosper. Pray for the peace Pray for peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. It says, I think it's in Exodus. God said, I will bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. And we have to understand the word. We have to understand how absolute the word is. And, you know, these are laws. And if you follow them, no matter what you do, those laws will apply to you. Are you guys understanding? So this morning, I pray, as I pray for Jerusalem, I just went to find, where can I give to Jerusalem? I just transferred money to them in Jerusalem. I blessed Jerusalem. So I blessed Jerusalem, so God will bless me. It's a, it's a law. He has said it. Then I said, you know, at the end of those things, they always say, do you want to make this a monthly thing? I said, cancel, cancel. <laughs> but this time around, I said, okay, let me just, I'll just make it a monthly thing. Since we don't even know how long this thing is going to last, let's just do it. So I just left it. So I want us to pray for Jerusalem. I want us to pray for peace in Jerusalem. In verse 7, it says, O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. Verse 8 says, For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. See, this is David speaking. David said, For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord your, our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. And that should be our determination, that for the sake of of the house of the Lord our God. 
I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. I want us to rise and pray. Let's pray. Let's pray for Jerusalem. Let's pray for peace in Jerusalem. The Bible says, may all who love this city prosper. So let's pray good things and the goodness of God in Jerusalem, for peace in Jerusalem. Let's pray, let's pray. Let's pray. Ebroye ko sanda kadama. Ebroye ko sunne. Oh, we pray for Jerusalem. We pray for peace in Jerusalem. We pray for peace in Jerusalem. We pray for peace in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, may you have peace. May there be peace within your walls. May there be prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, we will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, we will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is blessed. Lord, bring healing as only you can. Come and comfort the lost. Come and comfort those who have lost. Come and heal the wounded, Lord. We pray for peace in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is critical. It is important. Matthew 23, 37, the Amplified Classic says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, murdering the prophet and stoning those who are sent to you, how often would I gather your children? Would I have gathered your children together? as a mother fowl gathers her brood under her wings and you refused 
Behold, your house is forsaken and desolate, abandoned and left destitute of God's help. But in verse 39, it says, For I declare to you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed, magnified in worship, adored and exalted is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the signal of the coming of Jesus is when Jerusalem says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I watched something and I was talking, the guy was talking about biblical prophecy that every biblical prophecy is to do with Jerusalem. It's not, nothing is outside Jerusalem. So all these ones that we're getting is for your pocket. But in, when we talk about Bible and biblical prophecy, everything surrounds Jerusalem. That's why it's important for us to pray for Jerusalem. So Lord, we commit your city, we commit your nation into your hands. Cause your peace to reign in that land. Cause your peace to reign in Jerusalem. Lord, we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, back to fruitfulness. Um, I wanted to learn some lessons from the parable of the fig tree. Anybody heard that parable before? Fig tree? Anyone? Can we turn to Matthew 24? Matthew 24:32. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It says, Now learn the lesson from the parable of the fig tree. When spring arrives and is sent, and it sends out its, lend, its tender branches and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. So it will be with you. For when you observe all these things taking place, you will know that he is near. Even at the door, I assure you, the end of the age will not come until all I have spoken comes to pass. The earth and the sky will wear out and fade away. Before one word I speak loses its power or fails to accomplish its purpose. Um, and, and really what this is saying is you know, we're, seeing, we're seeing the evidence of, of the end we're seeing, we're seeing the sprouting um, in this scripture um, who, let's, let's even take it from Mark Mark 11 it starts from Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Mark 11. It says, Now as they were approaching Jerusalem, they arrived at the place of the stables near Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead and said to them, As soon as you enter the village ahead of you, you will find a donkey's colt tied there that has never been ridden. Untie it 
and bring it to me. And if anyone asks, what are you talking? What, why are you taking it? Tell them the master needs it and will send it back to you soon. So they went and found the colt outside the street, tied to a gate. And when they started to untie it, some people standing there said to them, why are you untying that colt? They answered just as Jesus had told them, the master needs it and he will send it back to you. So the bystanders let them go. The disciples brought the coats to Jesus and piled their clothes and, and their cloaks and prayer shawls on the young donkey. And Jesus rode upon it. Verse 8 says, Many people carpeted the road in front of him with their cloaks and their prayer shawls, while others gathered palm branches and spread them before him. Verse 9 says, Jesus rode in the center of the procession with crowds going before him and behind him. They all shouted in celebration, bring the victory. We welcome the one coming and blessing sent from the Lord, Yahweh. Verse 10, blessings rest on this kingdom, he ushers in. The kingdom of our father David, bring us the victory in the highest realms of heaven. And verse 11, it says, Jesus rode through the gates of Jerusalem and up to the temple. After looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with 12 to spend the night, for it was already late in the day. So this is a picture of Jesus riding in on the donkey. And what they were actually saying is what Jesus said Jerusalem would need to say what the Israelites would need to say for him to come back. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're saying, bring us the victory in the highest realms of heaven. Well, what I really find interesting, when you hear all these, I've never, you don't hear it in any other nation but Israel. There's one thing that they always say when they're talking, all of them, when you interview them, say God will, God will win for us. God will give us the victory. Where do you hear that? Don't hear it. Maybe in Nigeria in some, some circles. Don't hear it anywhere else internationally that they're talking about God. For them, it's always God will win for us. God will defeat the enemy on our behalf. Go and watch all the interviews. From prime minister to the person on the street, is God will win for us. So, so Jesus rode through the gates of Jerusalem and he went up to the temple. This is verse 11. It says, after looking around at everything, after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve to spend the night for it was already late in the day. And, and, and what I got from this, you know, when you go somewhere, um, you can quickly observe many things about the place, right? Um... For example, if you fly into Nigeria and you enter the airport, what can you observe? Smell. Ah. <laughs> I didn't know you start like that. <laughs> Heat. So, so when, when, last time we, we traveled, and um, one thing that made travel really easy, because we were outnumbered when we traveled, it was three against two for the... So, 
my wife was on the baby and me, I was on two. I had to train before I traveled. I, I trained for it. I trained my back. Ask, ask. I was training for it because I knew what I'd have to endure. Even when I came back, I came back with all sorts of crookedness in my body. But we had this, fortunately, my mom gave them this, um, this trolley bag that has a scooter on it. So two of them had it. So we didn't have to carry a trolley bag. So we put all our things in their bag. So very heavy. So in all the other airports, they were moving around. When we landed in Nigeria, they were moving. See Porto in the airport. That's how they, they just flew out of the scooter. So that's one, you won't notice it on, unless you are, you're riding it, right? I notice potholes everywhere in the airport. You see also the nakedness of the airport is exposed to you. <laughs> then disorderliness and the rest. And compare this when you go to maybe like a Dubai. And what do you see? See, the airport gives you an impression of the place, right? I remember saying that NYC is one of the best things you could ever do. Because NYC will tell you what Nigeria is. My mommy market, they didn't have water. And so when they were washing the plates, it was recycled water. So the water was brown. So do we have water? We don't have water. So. And then all sorts of funny things that happened there. In NYC is Nigeria. Once you go to NYC, you already know what Nigeria is if you open your eyes. So, and you go to someone like Dubai, you see, ah, first you see all the, it's glorious, right? You see all sorts of things. Anyway, we can't see now because we, we've been banned. They don't want us to co contaminate their glory. <laughs> but you form an impression from when you enter a place. And why I'm saying this is that Jesus had formed an impression of Jerusalem when he entered. Anybody know what impression Jesus formed? Anybody? Hmm? Never heard. Yes. So, in verse 12, and, and that's why I use, um, and it's important for us to understand the parallel. So, the parallel between Jesus entering Jerusalem and then next verse is Jesus is talking about a fig tree. In verse 12, it said, The next day, as he left Bethany, Jesus was feeling hungry. He noticed a leafy fig tree in the distance, and so he walked over to see if there was any fruit on it. But there was none. Only leaves, for it wasn't yet the season for bearing figs. And in verse 14 it says, Jesus spoke to the fig tree saying, no one will ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples overheard him. And we go to verse 15, what happens? We're back in the temple. Mark eleven fifteen, 15, Passion Transition, it says, when they came into Jerusalem, Jesus went directly into the temple area and overturned all the tables and benches of the merchants who were doing business there. One by one, he drove them all out of the temple court and they scattered away 
including the money changers and those dwelling, those selling doves. And he would not allow them to use the temple court as a thoroughfare for carrying their merchandise and their furniture. Then he began to teach the people, saying, Does not the scripture say, My house will be a house of prayer for all the world to share? But you have made it a hangout of thieves. So guys, what happened here? It's like we missed something. What happened? Anybody? What happened? It says, when they came to Jerusalem, Jesus went directly to the temple, temple area, and overturned all the tables. It means that the night before, he had scanned and he had seen all these things. And he left and went to rest somewhere. In the morning, on his way to Jerusalem, to the temple, he saw the fig tree. When he entered the temple, he already knew what he was going to do. It says he went directly into the temple area and overturned all the tables, the benches of the merchants who were doing business there. One by one, he drove them all out. Now, the fig tree and Jerusalem stroke the temple courts represent a parallel. It's like two sides of a coin. Both had such promise, right? For the fig tree, it was out of season. So, if, if you know, Jesus wouldn't have, wasn't bothered, but the fact that it had leaves, he was like, ah, ah. this one is really shiny, you know. This one is before its time. This one is, is a shooter. He's a, it's ahead of its time. And so, it inspired hope. It inspired hope in Jesus. It promised much, yet it yielded nothing. Zero. It was all talk. It was all show. It was hot air. There was no fruit at all to show for it. And that fruitlessness led to immediate judgment. Immediate judgment. It was a curse. And we look at the temple. The temple was grand, right? Anybody know what the temple was like? Anybody seen what the temple looked like before? The temple was, wasn't like all these ones that we're seeing, that we're seeing is his temple. Um, and I'll, I'll explain. In, in John 2, John 2, 18, in Passion Translation, it says, then the Jewish religious leaders challenged Jesus. They said, what authority do you have to do this sort of thing? And what supernatural sign will you show us to prove it. Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. It says, the Jewish leaders sneered at Jesus and, and at Jesus' answer. And they said to him, this temple that you're looking at took 46 years to build. How many temples, how many churches do you know that took 46 years to build? It says it took 46 years to build. And you mean to tell us that you'll raise it up in three days? So, something that 
took 46 years or takes 46 years to build is no joke. Can you imagine the resources, the effort and time to build something over 46 years? Do you know what's interesting? <laughs> the temple size was 35 acres. I don't saw it now. It was 35 acres. Um, a football pitch is just over 1.3 acres. So when I did the calculation, do you know why I calculated? 1.3, do it, 1.32 times 35, what do you get? Times 35, what do you get? 46. I just saw it now. Why divide? Why is it divided? Is that, please, someone help me with this. Is it divided or, or multiplied? What do you say? It's 26 times a football pitch. Okay, yes, because it's 1.3. Yes, divided. Oh, well done. <laughs> so the temple is 26 times a football pitch. And so think about it. I mean, we know in this place, we have evidence that to, for some people to run one football pitch is difficult. <laughs> wow. <laughs> we have evidence, but that's why we need to do more. Please, guys, help us. Let's do more. Let's do more football. But 26 football pitches is the size of a temple. So the temple was majestic. The temple inspired hope. Right? Inspired hope because if you're able to achieve building a temple in Roman times, Roman rule, it's saying that something is, something is going to happen. As we know, when people build churches, they are, uh, God is here. The temple had been destroyed. It had been destroyed twice before after Solomon. It had been besieged several times. And here it was standing in all its glory. And it was a sign of what was to come. It was an assurance that God was pleased, right? Amen? The temple was an assurance that God was pleased. That for it to, be, to have been possible, God must be pleased. He promised so much, yet he yielded what? Zero. What did Jesus say? He said, let me look for it. Yes, in verse 17, Mark eleven seventeen 17, says, my, my house will be a house of prayer for all the world to share. For all the world to share. But you made it a hangout of thieves. So there was no fruit. The gains were for the people that were transacting business. They were not for God. The focus was on the transaction of business, not on God. 
it has ceased to be a house of prayer as was determined by God. And the fruitlessness led to what? Immediate judgment. Right? What was the judgment? Jesus is king. What was the judgment? And this morning as I was, as I was praying, I realized that God really hates fruitlessness. Like it's something that the way, you know, the disciples were looking at Jesus like, I don't understand. You're the one that says, be loving, treat these children, take the children up. And in the next thing, you're if, if a fruit, a fruit tree, whose only mistake was having leaves that were, were blossoming when they shouldn't have blossomed. And such anger was provoked. So if that can be provoked from a tree, imagine from those who are made in the image and likeness of God himself. Micah 7, 1 to 6, the message version. Micah 7. Micah chapter 7, 1 to 6. It says, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow, sunk in a swamp of despair. I'm like someone who goes into or to the garden to pick cabbages and carrots and corn and returns empty-handed, finds nothing for soup or sandwich or salad. There is not a decent person in sight. Right-living humans are extinct. They are all out for one another's blood. Animals preying on each other. And this was really the indictment on the temple because they were taking advantage of people that came. I remember when we had our, 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 our first child, we, we had him in the US. And time to get him Nigerian passport. American passport was like this. Time to get him Nigerian passport. We tried to apply online. You can't apply online. You can't get it online. So we had to now go to a place, the agents, which was opposite the road from the Nigerian High Commission, wherever you collect your passport from. But on their own portal, you could apply online. But at home, you couldn't apply online. And then for you to get your passport, we had to, we had to pay $200. It was $200. Meanwhile, online was like maybe $30 or $40. Just outside. I've seen videos of people traveling from far places in Canada, Canada and US, big places. They travel from far only to realize that, you know, they have to pay $400. And this is what these guys were doing. So people would travel from all over the world to Jerusalem, to the temple. And then people would be outside selling the means by which you get your forgiveness, atonement. They'll be selling the birds and all that. And when it's high season, they inflate the prices. They inflate the prices. That's what they were doing. They were making money at the expense of God. 
That's why, for example, that woman who couldn't afford anything, remember, and she was crying, you know, and, and the Bible says that she gave more than anybody else. Because, see, what, that's what has been exalted, is those who are shining, those who look good, and, and the rest. And those who are the ones that have been given access to God. So it says, right living humans are extinct. They're all out for one another's blood. Animals preying on each other. They've all become experts in evil. Corrupt leaders demand bribes. The powerful rich make sure that they get what they want. The best and brightest are thistles. The top of the line is crabgrass, but no longer. It's exam time. Look at them sinking, slinking, away in disgrace. Don't trust your neighbor. Don't confide in your friend. Watch your words, even with your spouse. Neighbors and families are falling to pieces. The closer they are, sons and daughters, in-laws, the worse they can be. Your own family is the enemy. Jeremiah 8.13 says, I went out to see if I could salvage anything, God's decree. But I found nothing, not a grape, not a fig, just a few withered leaves. I'm taking back everything I gave them. And this is God's reality. This is what God found with the fig tree and with Jerusalem. And, and the truth is that God is less concerned about the temple. How many, how many people know that 40 years after they broke down the temple, they destroyed the temple? Meanwhile, he's the God of the temple. But God moved away from the temple. That's why when, he, when they responded, you know when he, he said, they asked, why did, he, why did he curse the fig tree? God didn't even address that. What he told them, I was talking to them about prayer. That whatever you, if you believe, whatever you pray for, you'll get. He was saying something. He was, he was saying that there's been a shift from the old order to the new order. Before, the people that could pray were in the temple, the holies of holies. They were the ones that were praying for you. They're the ones that were communing with God on your behalf. But now, Jesus was saying to them that, see, for you, things have changed. The temple is no longer, or in a few days, no longer going to be outside there. It's going to be within. So God is less concerned about the physical temple. He's more concerned about people. He's more concerned about you, more concerned about your heart. And the fruits that you bear. We like to impose what God likes on him. Yet God does not change. He has always remained consistent. He does not look to outward appearances. He's not moved by outward appearances. He looks to the heart. He looks to the fruit. Matthew seven sixteen to 20 says, By their fruit, the Amplified Version, 
by their fruit you will recognize them. That is, by their contrived doctrine and self-focus. And I, I really like this, this explanation. It says, by their fruit you will recognize them. That is, by their contrived doctrine and self-focus. I was talking to my wife um, this week and I was... I was telling her about some, someone that a friend of ours had sent to me, um, someone that does prayers um, and prophecies. So as she sent it, because it was a friend close, you know, when, she, I mean, she's a spiritual person. I just followed the person. But every time I see, I'm, I'm like, ah. all I see is just pictures of this person looking glorious. Like every picture is just, you know, about, what? Yes. So I had to unfollow this person. I said, how can all the pictures in your life be about you? Everything in your life, everything about you is about you. You just put some tagline about, with some prophecy and some scripture, but at the end of the day, it's you doing one thing or the other. Sitting on the table, standing on the table, it's about you. I said, it's not possible. There was, you know, for me, that's always the red flag. There was a, a time that we when we were in between churches, <clears throat> at the time there were a lot of prayers and how people started all these prayer things. And so they sent one to my wife and I, and I, one day I just joined. I was like, yeah, I even need prayer. I wasn't praying, I said, let me, let me join. So as they were praying, I was like, ah, this prayer is hitting. But maybe 30 minutes, I was like, ah. No, not 30 minutes, maybe like one hour, two hours in. I was like, from the beginning, we started this prayer at what time? Till now. We've only prayed about me. Like, you've only prayed about yourself from beginning to end. I said, this one is not God. You know, God said it to them. He said, you're meant to, this temple was meant to be for the world. Yet, you made it about yourselves. You made it a den, a hangout of thieves. There's no way God can start something and make everything about you. It's not, it cannot be. I'm telling you, it cannot be. So from that, I never joined again. I never joined again. I said this one, red flag, never again. And so, this prophet, I just unfollowed the person this week. She now said, made a good point. She said, you better unfollow her because, or him. <laughs> <laughs> Because many people are following you and following the person because you follow the person. I said it's true. So let me just make disclaimer. Don't follow people because of me. <laughs> My own Instagram is jokes, vibes. I just, all people I send things to, I'm just sending jokes to them. There's only one person I can, I can recommend that you follow on Instagram, and those are my people. Um, Ling and Lamp. Those are my people. I can, you can follow them. I like those guys so much. Those are my best friends. Yeah. Yes. I think it, I, I actually thought about it. There. I think it's yeah because I had a best friend that was like that before. Abby, I just thought about it today. I actually, I had a best friend that was like that. Huh? Before 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 he became a man of God. So yeah, I I, I really like them. Anyway, that's not my point. Don't follow who I follow. <clears throat> um. 
And I'll read on. This is Matthew 7, 16. Um, it says, by their fruit you will recognize them. That is, by their contrived doctrine and self-focus. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the unhealthy tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruit, you will recognize them as false prophets. I, I think it's really important now, more than ever before, that we have discernment. See, it says, by their fruits, you will know them. Not by your fruits, you'll be told about them. It says, you will know them. It's important for you to be able to discern. This is not the time to be carried away by every wind and doctrine. Or is it all doctrine? How do they say it? It's so important right now. So if I was to conclude, I guess the question would be, how do we bear fruit? How do we bear fruit? Jeremiah 17, verse 5, the Amplified Version. It says, thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in and relies on mankind making weak, faulty human flesh his strength, and whose mind and heart turn away from the Lord. So cursed when you trust and rely on mankind. Cursed when you make weak, faulty human flesh your strength. Cursed when heart and mind is turned away from the Lord. Verse 6 says, For he will be like a shrub in the parched desert and shall not see prosperity when it comes. See, this, this curse eh, is the deepest curse I've ever heard. It's saying that you chase prosperity so much that you do not even see it when it comes. You spend all your time and all your life chasing what appears to be prosperity. And when prosperity comes, you miss it. says, but you shall live, not you, the person shall live in the rocky places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. And verse 7 says, blessed with spiritual security is the man who believes, the man who trusts in, the man who relies on the Lord, and whose hope and confident expectation is the Lord. I like the way it says, is the Lord, not is in the Lord. It says, blessed is the man whose hope and confident expectation is the Lord. Is the Lord, not in the Lord. 
So you're not hoping in the Lord for something outside of God or something that God gives, but you're hoping in the Lord for God. Does that make sense? So when God said to Abraham, um, I am your exceedingly great reward, Abraham was meant to have taken that thing to the bank. That is enough. But like us, and we like Abraham, but you've not given me a son. If this reward is so great, uh -uh. let me see the fruits of it now. So that we're looking for something beyond God, where there is nothing beyond God. We're looking for something more than God, where there can never be anything more than God. Can God be enough for us? That's the question. And what's important is blessed with spiritual security. All those other ones come with no security. No security whatsoever. Anybody read about or even watched, if you've read about Pablo Escobar, Pablo Escobar was probably the richest man in the world at the time, right? By the time that they were chasing him, this mighty man, this rich, richest man, there was no electricity where he was staying. What did he use? He went to find where he buried money and, and put it in a fireplace and started burning it to keep his child warm. was burning the cash to keep his child warm. Realized that cash meant nothing compared to spiritual security. We must believe, we must trust in, and we must rely on the Lord. We must hope, confidently expect in the Lord or expect the Lord verse 8 says for he will be nourished like a tree planted by the waters that spreads out its roots by the river I will not fear the heat when it comes but its leaves will be green and moist, moist and it will not be anxious and concerned in a year of drought, nor will it stop bearing fruit. Nor will it stop bearing fruit. And this is really important for the season that we're in. It's really important for the season that we're in. I, 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 um, I watched, there was a guy that was speaking, I'm not sure if it was Robert Kiyosaki, and he, was it him? I don't know if it was him. It looked like him. And he said, he knows how this thing goes. This thing is in cycles. Anytime they run out of money, they go for a war. And the US has run out of money. Anytime they run out of money, it's war. And so we were advising him for investment advice. What do you do now? He said, take your money out of dollars. Go and invest in gold and... I guess now crypto, all those things will now start flying. That's what happens. And so as a result of that, a lot of people are going to stop 
bearing fruit. The drought will, will drought everybody. And if the U.S. is suffering, you know that Nigeria's own will, will take our cue from everybody else. We don't have our own standing. So we suffer on our own accord. We suffer on other people's accord. And forget all these prophecies that they are telling you. But if you trust in God, if you hope in him, if you rely on him, if the Lord is your hope and your expectation, then you'll be like a tree that is planted by the riverside, by the waters. You'll be nourished like a tree that is planted by the waters. A tree that spreads out its roots by the river it will not be affected by the heat, will not be affected by the circumstances. Its leaves will remain green and moist. It will not be anxious and concerned in a year of drought, nor will it stop bearing fruit. Amen. Do we believe this? Be quiet. We say we believe it. Tomorrow, we'll go on Instagram. I will start seeing a lot of fruit-bearing trees. And we'll start comparing to our own lives. And you say, where is the God of this person in my life? As if seeing is evidence of the fruit. Jesus has already told us. He saw. Jesus himself saw. Why, didn't, why don't we ask that? How come, no, how come the Holy Spirit didn't tell Jesus that the fig didn't bear fruit? Jesus saw. He saw leaves. But there was no fruit. So a lot of us are basing our lives, our decisions on leaves that we see, whereas we don't have any evidence that there is fruit. It's so important for us to be focused on our, our, ourselves. So important, so important. You can be carried away by everything else and lose yourself. In verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things. It is extremely sick. Who can understand it? fully and know its secret motives. But verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search and examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Amen? So God isn't bothered about appearances. He isn't bothered about appearances. He's looking at the heart. When Samuel wanted to anoint, was it, um, Eli, was it Eliab? When did Samuel anoint Eliab as king? Just saw him as, ah, this one looks like a king. And he was rushing to anoint him. God said, no, this one, I've already rejected him. 
always wonder, at what point did he reject Eliab? I think it's so scary to me. I've already re- I, had, I had already rejected him. So man looks at appearances, but I look at the heart. So whatever we've come to display to ourselves, it counts for nothing. It's God that knows what is really there. If you are really for him, if you are really moved by him, if you are really led by him. So I want to encourage everyone to move beyond appearances. How far, how far has appearances gotten you? It may have gotten you somewhere in the world, but it won't get you anywhere with God. It's important for us to have that relationship with him that he desires to have with us. Bible in Genesis 1.28 says, God blessed them, granting them certain authority and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subjugate it, putting it under your power and rule over, dominate the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and everything that moves upon the earth. Everything that moves upon the earth. This is our mandate, is to be fruitful. And so, the first thing God is going to ask us when we see him is, where are your fruits? Show me your fruit. And I hope you are not going to pack car or, or pack cash. You can't bribe God. What will you, what will you show him? Anybody know what they're going to show him here? Think about it. What fruit do you show him? Hmm? I think I'll, I'll close with this. You know, our, our spiritual lives may look like, um, or our physical lives, our personal lives, may look very leafy and very green. Um, they may look like they're in season. Um, but they actually may be withered. And the only reason, you know, a, a withered plant, withered roots cannot bear fruit. The only reason that they, they will be withered is because they're not connected to the source. That's the only reason. Because the Bible in John 15 says, abide in me. And I in you. It says, in me you bear much fruit. So if you have no intimacy with God, if you have no personal relationship with God, if there's no fruit of holiness in your life, um, if there's no fruit, you know, God is God and God is holy. And so if God is holy, he's set apart. And so if you are to worship God, you must set him apart. You can't connect with a God that you have not proclaimed to be holy in your heart. So you can't be doing anyhow with God and think that oh, everything is okay. Because he is set apart. He's set apart. And so we must set him apart in our own lives, in our own hearts. So if there is no fruit of holiness 
if there's no fruits of the spirit, you know, we're here, well, everybody's nice here. When we see your real face in the office, on the road, or that's what we're producing. The fruit is not for here, for church. The fruit is for outside. And there's no evidence of abiding. Because if you, if you spend enough time, I mean, me and my wife, we've been married for, this is our night there, right? Our night there. I'm right. Um, and we don't look the same as we did in our first year. We don't. And we're, we're kind of looking more like each other, not physically, but spiritually. Or apparently physically, so I don't see it. But I see couples actually look more and more like each other. Um, but there has to be evidence of the presence of my wife in my life. There has to be evidence of my presence in her life. Otherwise, there's no evidence that we spent any time together. There's no evidence. And so, if you are God, if you are rooted in him, there has to be evidence. That's why they call it the fruit of the spirit. That's why they call it the fruit of the spirit. You spend enough time with him, you can't be like you. You, you're, you become more like him. You, leave, you just have to leave those things alone. And so, when you don't spend enough time with him, and if you don't look like him, if you're not producing fruit of the spirit, then it's just evidence that you've not spent time with him. That's why he said, many will come and say, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I did miracles in your name. And what will he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. I want us to pray this morning. I hope this has made sense to you. Yes. I wasn't sure where I was going when I started, but we've arrived somewhere. Um, for me, I say it a lot, you know, there, there'll be no point. There'll be no point in all of this. I mean, I'm very, I'm, I'm very, um, what do you call it? I don't like carrying luggage. I don't like doing, I, I don't like overdoing anything. So, a minimalist, so I don't I don't like carrying a wallet, so I found a solution. I have a, a card case in my wallet. So I don't care. That's why I don't have cash. I don't care like carrying anything extra. That's how I go everywhere. I find ways to reduce everything. So even the bag I carry, everything is in that bag. That bag that you see me carrying, everything I need in this life is in that bag. Small bag, everything I need is there. I don't like carrying two phones, so I found a way, and I got a phone that, and I have. Uh, two sims. So, and that's why I didn't use an Apple phone for a long time was because I don't want to use two phones. But since they did whatever, so, yeah. So, I'm just telling you that if I didn't have to be here, <laughs> I would not be, see, I would not even give the second thought. I don't like doing things for the sake of doing things. 
if there is anything doing for the sake of doing things, I will, you won't find me there. I won't even be in the conversation. I will not be there. The only thing I like to be is at home, my wife, my wife and my children. That's what I like to do. So, my point is that if we're going to do it, let us do it properly. I'm not here to cajole anybody. I'm not here to give you, tell you what you want to hear. I'm not here to make you feel good about yourself. I'm here to love you the way Christ loved the church. And in Revelations 3, it says, I, I stand here, I knock, and it's up to you to open. It says, it talks about how he'll, he'll reprove you, he'll chastise you. When you allow God in, he's, going to, he's not going to come in and just chill. How can he come and chill in filth? He has to restructure your life. It will be uncomfortable. And so we want to walk with people who are comfortable being uncomfortable. As long as being uncomfortable is to be uncomfortable for God. Amen? Amen. So I really want to encourage everyone to key into this. It's so important. That's, that's the, whole, the whole purpose of my life is that. Is this. It's important for us to key into it. And if, if you're here in, in and out, key into it. Key into the storehouse. Key into the word. Come for prayer. We have prayer meeting on Tuesday. See, by God's grace, we're not going to be here. I, I, I'm saying it, that we have to be out. We have to be in our own place by December. By December. We'll be in our own place. By God's grace. But it takes people. We have to key into it. We need people. We need help. We need suggestions. We need all the advice that you're giving to people outside. We need it here. Can we prioritize God above everything else? Let's rise and pray. God, let's speak to God concerning everything that we've heard today. Speak to him concerning things that may have challenged you, things that may have made you uncomfortable. Speak to him today. Don't allow this moment to pass you by.
resolve within yourself that your life will be fruitful. That your life won't be barren. It will not be devoid of fruit. Speak over your life. Speak over your life. Speak over your life. Make a commitment to God today. Make a commitment to God today. Determine in your hearts to abide in Him. Determine to abide in Him no matter what it costs you. No matter what it costs you. Determine to abide in Him no matter what it costs you. Determine that there is no price that is not worth paying for him. Determine that there is no price that is not worth paying for him. I spoke this morning about when Jesus was spoke to the disciples to go and get the coat. He asked them to go and get the coat and he said, if they ask you why you're taking it, tell them that the master has need of it and I'll return it to you. And I will return it. That will be returned to you. And it occurred to me that the owner of the coat was the one asking for it. The owner of the coat was the one asking for it. He didn't need to return it. He owns everything. And it also occurred to me that if they had held back the coat, it would have been the same as stealing. It would have been the same as stealing. And I now looked at our lives that we say we've given our lives to him. We say that he's Lord over our lives. And so if we hold back our lives to the one who has requested it, what does that mean? That we're stealing our lives. We're holding our lives hostage. We're stealing from God. I want us to give our lives to him. I want us to give our lives to him. And you can only do that when you know that you can't improve upon God in your life. You can't do better than God can do in your life. It is impossible. It is impossible. So let's pray. Let's pray. 
to give our lives to him. In doing so, we're saying that we trust him. We're saying that he is our exceedingly great reward. We are saying that our hope and confident expectation is the Lord. Declare, declare that I believe and trust and I rely on you, O Lord. Declare that my hope, my confident expectation is you, O Lord. I don't want us to get tired. Let's pray. Let's pray today. Let's pray today. Let's pray today. He said to the disciples, pray and whatever you believe, if you truly believe it, whatever you ask for, you will have. So let's pray. Let's pray. Are you walk in his ways? You will walk in his truth. You'll be obedient. You'll be fruitful in everything that you do. Where it was difficult in the past to walk with him. Where it was difficult in the past to be obedient. Where it was difficult in the past to trust him. Now it will be easy. Because he has made grace available to you. So let's pray for grace. Declare I will be fruitful. I will be fruitful. According to the command of the Lord. I will be fruitful. According to the will of the Lord. I will be fruitful. Nebre